Thank you for listening to this Podcast One Sportsnet production, available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Rev up your engines. Adam Carolla is teaming up with Podcast One to bring you Going Racing, your new favorite high-speed racing podcast. Get ready, set, and go download new episodes of Going every week on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. The April 18th edition of the PFF Forecast, we're going to talk about the schedule release. Of course, we've run the wind sim, so we're going to talk wind totals, easiest and hardest schedules, our personal favorite games that you can all hate on. We've got some mean tweets. They're pretty good this week. Questions from the dark web and then a season review slash look ahead for the Denver Broncos. Let's rock. All right. We should probably start with the mean tweets because we talked about Buffalo last week and there was some anger. There were a lot of Josh Allen supporters. I hope that you've survived the barrage of bullets they threw our way. Yeah, I mean, look, if a mediocre white man can't get some empathy in this world, I don't know what we're here for. So good for them. There, there were a lot of comments. We'll read some good ones here in a second. But overall, a lot of people called attention to the high drop rate that Josh Allen had. And it's important to know that's one of that's one of the reasons that PFF exists. That's a good example of why PFF exists, because if a quarterback throws a good pass, an accurate pass, we have multiple ways in which we grade or we credit the quarterback for that throw. So we do accuracy charting where if it's an accurate pass, he'll get credit for the accurate pass regardless of the drop. And in our play-by-play grading, he will get credited for the throw that he makes if it is a good throw and it is dropped. So all of those things that we talked about with the rate of uncatchable throws, the high rate of negatively graded throws, um, you know, even if you want to get angry about his completion percentage, all those other, other things are completely agnostic to the drop rate. So I think people should chill just a little bit. Well, my thing is, is the willingness to want to like Jared Goff happened, right? Other quarterbacks have, have turned the corner, the willingness to take 52% completion, more interceptions and touchdowns and want to call that a victory. You're like better off just saying, okay, he's stunk as a passer, as a rookie, we know passing is the most important and we're going to wait until year two, because that's only fair to a rookie quarterback. Yeah. And I do think there are people, it's tough because people get, you know, their, their muscles on the internet grow super large. I do think there are probably a good bit of these people that want to have that opinion, but they get angry because they hear someone say a couple of negative things. And, um, and for the record, I always like to see guys improve as do you, I'm sure with that being said, some mean tweets, Adam de Jager, uh, for your information, Alan threw a fine pass under duress and clay dropped it. Now, I took a picture of said pass and tweeted it out uh, while I was expressing my uh, giddiness towards uh, recording this episode. If you want to call that a good pass, now I know he was under duress, but Charles Clay was also, like, standing alone. Um, So, yeah, I mean, that that sort of shows the depths to which uh, folks will sort of go to – uh, try to be right in a situation like this. Clay Clay basically had to like be parallel to the ground to even get his hands on it, uh, despite being wide open. Um, look, it's all it's all relative theory of relativity. Um, 
Oh, I just I just lost here it is. So you mentioned that his completion percentage, 1983, wanted his completion percentage back. <laughs> you may have to retire after this retort from S.E.R. Nathan Thomas, uh, who said, "Does 80, uh, 83 want his rushing stats too? Neck beard extraordinaire." Nice. Is he, I, is he referring to your neck beard or mine? I don't know. I have I have no idea. I mean. Some people like to trim the beard like all the way up. Um, I've always been told that's not the way to do it and that you're supposed to let it uh, go down to just above your um, Adam's apple. So that's what I do. But I'm not Sir Nathan Thomas, so, you know. What about Um, Justin Phillips who said, emoji, emoji, it's funny how stupid they are in relation to how smart they think they are. Agreed. Uh, Jay Maria Yikes, you guys have made it abundantly clear that you have watched little to no Buffalo Bills games all season. All you did was look at stats, and you should know that stats don't prove everything. Josh Allen had the worst-ranked offensive line and wide-receiving corp in the league. Is the corporation? Uh, I think so. I think it's it's Buffalo Bills Wide Receiver Incorporated. A ton of passes were drops by his receivers, including a game-winning touchdown. He was put in a pretty poor situation. This is such a long comment. And with all that being said, he was a rookie. Rookies make rookie mistakes. Also, picking Miami to have a better record than Buffalo itself proves you haven't been following free agency either. It's proof. Miami is in full tank mode. How can you pick a team that doesn't even have a franchise QB? They have Fitzpatrick, the streakiest, inconsistent QB uh, in the league. Can I we, can we pause? Fitzpatrick's a better quarterback more. than Josh Allen. I know. I know. I have to keep. I have to click read more to keep reading. It's the longest comment of all time. They lost a handful of good guys in free agency. They have gotten worse all around on both sides of the ball. They have more holes to fill than Buffalo does. The Bills made moves. They upgraded their offensive line. Their receiving corporation again, and already had a top two to five defense. Not putting them number one, two to five. Improved on special teams. They have 10 picks in the draft in which they have plenty of leverage to get the guys they want. I can understand if you don't have faith in Buffalo, but to say that they will be just as bad or worse than last year and worse than Miami, you guys have to be clueless. And that comment was edited, by the way. Oh, nice. Uh, Scott Schwalzwelski. I hope you don't do this for a living because, damn, you're not very good. The damn went... It, as a, a, a preceding a period, and then you're not very good was the following sentence. Um, so I don't know how that how I was supposed to pause there and things like that, but yeah. Um, there are a lot of. Do you guys even watch the games? Yes, we uh, did comments? actually. We had we had yes. Bills plus four, and when Josh Allen failed uh, to complete said wide open play to Charles Clay, that game pushed. So yes, we do watch the games. Uh, Dia Matt Philosopher said, nice fat shaming segment. <laughs> I think we should close with that. That was not intended to be a fat shaming segment. It was a motivation in the gym segment. Let's get it clear. Uh, let's move on, though, to the, the schedule here. Let's start with this. Everyone gets really excited. They immediately go and they, they list off wins and losses. Mm-hmm. Everyone goes over. Everyone's team is winning at least 10 games. It's very exciting. That ESPN um, article had everybody going over except for Miami. Look, I see no lies. It's amazing that they still put that out. And you know what that proves? It proves it's nothing 
it's not a slap in the face ESPN. What it really is is how stupid are people that go and read articles because no one goes and reads other teams. They literally just go to their team. They go, did you pick my team to win more games than they're expected to? If yes, I like this article. It's that simple. Um, we're going to talk about uh, – let's talk about the, the simulation predictions in a second. But let's start with this. You see the schedule. It comes out. What are your favorite games? Uh, my favorite thing is that the Bears have a top five most difficult schedule in terms of PFF ELO and that they have the second toughest uh, opposing offenses against. My favorite games, however, are twofold. Arizona against Detroit at home week one. Kyler Murray starts out his career 1-0. and And the best game, Green Bay at Kansas City late October. Sunday night football. In that is KC. a Sunday night football game. Um, I, I talked to the big dog, uh, our buddy, friend of the podcast, Fred Gadelli. And he uh, he likewise he agreed with you that was that was his favorite game on the on the list I think that game should be the, the favorite game on most people's list I would guess I mean I can't understand how you wouldn't get excited about Mahomes and Rogers um, the the newness of Green Bay the attempt at establishing dominance um, in the AFC with Kansas City I mean that that should be fantastic a game that I am really excited for. I think this might be my my favorite game on the list is Los Angeles gets Chicago at home. Um, I was tempted to go Los Angeles uh, at San Francisco week 16 for the division, but I'm going to, I'm going to cool the jets there. Rams hosting Chicago in week 11, that game by week 11, we could know, you know, we should know a lot about these teams. That could be a really interesting game. Will, will Chicago still be in it, right? Of course, you know, everyone will in Chicago believes at that point that they'll be 10 and 0. But for the Rams, they, you know, will they be what the Falcons were uh, after they had that disappointing Super Bowl? Or are they going to come out rejuvenated, have some new looks? Jared Goff continues to progress. Um, I think that'll be a fascinating game. Yeah. I mean, I think most people in Chicago, um, you know, think, you know, that, they beat the Rams up. You know, I got a bunch of responses when I said that, you know, the Bears have a tough schedule to, yeah, but, you know, look at us how and how we beat the Rams on Sunday night football. Uh, I think most Bears fans think that that game's a lock, uh, and I wouldn't quite go that far. Right, uh, absolutely. Uh, Chicago also plays Kansas City Week 16. It's going to be – that's on Sunday night um, as well. Chicago's going to be a fascinating team. I, one of the things you mentioned, hardest schedules – one of the teams with a um, a hard schedule as uh, the Raiders. It, it is going to be it's going to be such an interesting season for the Raiders, man. They've got such a such a tough um, you know division schedule. Obviously, they they face um, Indy, Green Bay, Houston, uh, Kansas City, and L.A. twice. Obviously, um, they've got Minnesota as well. And so, man, it. For Oakland, it's weird because I I do sort of hope they find a way to trade up for Kyler Murray, even though it would cost me a lot of money because I think it would give them a chance to make those games pretty exciting. But yeah, their oh, over under well. is is six and a half. Um, to go under though, it costs you a buck twenty. 
Um, we have it. I think that number, I think the six and a half number is pretty sharp by the way that we have, you know, it's simulated now. But a lot of things can change. If Denver drafts a quarterback and decides to play him early, that could make it easier or harder on Oakland, depending upon what happens. If the Chargers don't regress as we sort of think that they will, you know, that could also make it harder on, on Oakland, that kind of thing. So, um, you know, for right now, you know, last season when their number was eight, eight and a half, we were telling people, you know, basically right at, you know, right after they drafted Colton Miller, you know, bet the Oakland Raiders under and that thing hit by like week eight. Um, but, you know, right now I would say there's a lot of uncertainty there. You know, one of the things if you are inclined to, to just want to fade the Raiders based upon schedule is to wait and see if they, you know, they use that draft capital to get a decent number of high-named players in the draft, and that number skirts up to seven or, you know, a, you know the juice flips and the, you know, the under is a plus money, much like the Giants was last year, then I think that, that Oakland's a better play. But right now I would sort of lay off of it. I'm with you there. Let's, so let's talk uh, win totals now. Let's start with a couple of over bets. Um, if you had to pick uh, two over bets, which ones are you going with? Yeah, they're not as easy to identify um, because, you know, overs are not, you know. Yeah, I, the one for me is is has been Tampa Bay. You know, I think uh, our simulation, so Tampa Bay's over-under is six and a half. Uh, last season it was either six or seven, and they weren't even able to overcome that despite starting two and zero. I think there's a lot of you know folks souring on them, even though Bruce Arians uh, is quite a good coach, and Jameis Winston at times uh, can be can be a pretty you know high variance in a good way quarterback. Um, you know, I our simulations actually has Tampa with slightly more wins, 7.18 versus 7.10, than Carolina. So if either New Orleans or Atlanta takes another step back, uh, I think Tampa Bay is going to slide in there and go, you know, something like 7-9, 8-8, and in which case the over uh, is a solid play there. Um, I also sort of like Pittsburgh at 8.5. Pittsburgh's a good one. I'm going to stay in that division, though, with – our hometown Cincinnati Bengals right now just six is there is their total they've got a brand new coach coming in whole new system uh we've seen what that what that system has done uh assuming that he keeps with a lot of the Sean McVay principles and Andy Dalton we talked about this last week Andy Dalton was not nearly as bad as people think uh, that he that he was based on how well the or how poorly the Bengals did. Obviously, he got hurt and you know, everything kind of crashed and burned. But he was solid, you know, up until that point that he got that he got injured. And six is not a lot of games, right? It's it's just you know you can luck into four wins pretty pretty easily. Um, so I like that number being low. Our simulation has them clearing that number fairly easily. So. I think Cincy would be my one of my go-tos. I love the Tampa Bay uh, pick there. You're right; overs are tough, but I'm trying trying to be optimistic here. That's that's my new thing. Yeah, so. I mean, with the Bengals, when when you make this bet on the Bengals, you're you're actually playing a few unders simultaneously, right? You're playing the under on Baltimore with a new quarterback and presumably some growing pains. You're playing the under on Cleveland and all of that hype. Uh, you know, and and so in some sense, that's what that over is about. And 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 as such, I agree with it. I think I think Andy Dalton can have a pretty good season, especially with a new coach. If AJ Green, Tyler Eifert, you know, 
Joe Mixon's a pretty good pass catcher and things like that. If, if they can stay healthy on the offensive side of the ball, their defense isn't very good, but clearing six or even pushing six probably is doable for them. Uh, tell me about this one because someone brought this up in, in the comments uh, that we read that Miami's going to be tanking, right? So their total's at five. Five is a, is a really low number of games. They've got a new coach coming in who he doesn't want to tank, right? He wants to start building a, a winning culture. It's it's obvious that, you know, when you run a simulation with, with a team that is like, you know, not literally all replacement players, it's going to be fairly easy to, to clear five games. With five being such a low number, like where's your head at with Miami? I mean, I probably, I you know, Given the way that the numbers shake out, I wouldn't be terribly, uh, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't care so much, especially because five's a dull number. Like if they go five and eleven, you get a push, and so, so I'm okay with with betting a little bit on the on the over for Miami. The thing is, is I'm thinking about next week's draft. If Miami does smart things next week, trade back, accumulate picks, those kind of things, and they don't make tanking so much about getting the number one pick next year, then I'm more in favor of that bet, right? If they take all their picks the way that they're set up or they trade up and they lose capital, then I think this, if they are tanking or they're setting themselves up to get a quarterback, then it plays more towards, okay, we have to lose all these games to get a top pick because we don't have the capital to move up if we like somebody. So uh, not to go like sort of second order on it, but I do think the draft sort of matters for Miami here. Yeah, I'm really on the fence with that one because I, it stuck out to me because our predicted number is closer to six and a half, seven than it is to five where their total is at. And obviously our simulation is not, is not trying to guess the motivation of the organization yeah, from I mean, a tanking tough. perspective, right? So it's tricky because if they just go out and, and play, and Brian Flores does not strike me as the type of guy that's going to go take a head coaching job where he's going to be asked to lose every game. That doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Um, so, so I thought that one was really interesting. Let's flip to the other side of the coin, unders that caught your eye that our simulation also agrees with. I mean, the easy one, Chicago. I mean, these people. Uh, you know. You're not allowed to steal my thunder here. That's mine. <laughs> I deserve all of the Chicago hate. So there's, I'm the there's one a question from the dark the web that literally just came up saying, Eric, other than Mitch and Bortles, what are the similarities do the Bears have that the Jags, other than the defense, was good? Like, do we need any other similarities? I'm like, sorry. That's a it's a pretty big similarity, right? Quarterbacks yeah. who are who are cool. overrated. And vastly overperforming defense. I mean, the the Chicago one is so easy just from a just from those two standpoints, right? It's quarterbacks' performance drastically under what the result was, right? The, the mm-hmm. result of the plays outperformed the, the process, and then from a defensive standpoint, it, no team came close to capitalizing on the number of turnover-worthy plays that the that the bears saw it's just it's hard to sustain those types of things yeah it's i mean so this that one's a little bit easy i think you're gonna get i think you're gonna get a lot of money on 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 chicago's over from recreational people but i do think that like the sharp people will just take the chicago one because you know last season when we went into the season it was minnesota and green bay basically equally 
you know, odds to get the, the NFC North. You throw Chicago in there, and again, like any sort of reversion would, would imply, which our simulation does, that those sort of our teams are like equally likely uh, to win their division. And I think that's probably the right way to go about it. Uh, and so if that's the case, then Chicago is really going to have to scrap and claw to get to 10 wins. Um, and the quarterback, like, I mean, with quarterbacks like Bortles, with quarterbacks like Trubisky, like, I'm going to take that all day. Uh, and I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, pay to be wrong. That's, that's, you bring up that whole division and that's really interesting. So look at the totals for these teams, Green Bay, nine and a half, Minnesota, nine, Chicago, nine and a half. I mean, is, is Detroit going 0 and 16 again? Detroit's total is seven. So there's a, there's a lot of wins in that division. Someone, you know, there are going to be a few of those, those teams that don't quite get, to um, the number of wins, even if they even if they manage to perform well, because there's so much depth in that division, it's, which it's, I think makes it tough. It's the same discussion that we had about Minnesota last year. In how many games are do you have the better quarterback? And even though Kirk Cousins was a big name, it was arguable that he was the better quarterback in any more than five or six of those of the games going into the year. If you are Trubisky. You know, you get a little bit of a rebound from Stafford, I'm assuming, with the new offensive coordinator. Rodgers probably will rebound. Cousins is a better player than Trubisky, despite his win-loss record. And then you have to play the AFC West, which includes the Chargers and the Chiefs, who uh, you will be underdogs in those games. So to me, it's, to me again, just sort of adding it up. And the number of things that, needs to go, that need to go right for a team without an elite quarterback to win 10 games is just too much for me. Here's another one that... It, Similar to the Miami one, it's sort of a hold-your-nose type deal, but um, but I think both of these bets fall into that, that realm, and that's both the Rams and the Browns under. The Rams at 10.5, the Browns at 9, and both of these teams are trying to take the next step, right? The Rams are trying to take the step from, okay, we're you know sort of a plucky team that we kind of became dominant, took a little bit of a step back, and now... We made it to the Super Bowl. Every team is coming to play the Rams, trying to beat one of the best teams in the NFL, going to give them their best shot. Um, and ten and a half is a really large number, right? It's the second largest number that we've seen. Only the Patriots, who get to play cupcakes every other week, yep. um, have a number higher than that. Ten and a half is a really high number. Um, and, and the Rams were a little fraudulent in getting as far as they did. Obviously, New Orleans got gypped out of. Uh, a you know pretty solid chance going to the Super Bowl, and then for the Browns, it's basically the reverse of your Pittsburgh bet, right? That is a deep division. Um, they're going to have to play some really hard games. Pittsburgh, they didn't just disappear. They still have a quarterback. Um, they still have you know, talent there. That offensive line and Juju Smith-Schuster, who's very good. So to me, both of those are. It's going to be tough because you're going to be rooting for greatness to succeed, and both these teams could be great. But those numbers are just so high that I think it's it. I agree with the simulation, and those are you know really plus EV bets that I would probably I would probably take right now. Yeah, those are hold your nose. We've talked about this on the podcast a little bit. the The last one I'll I'll say is I think the Chargers um, with a nine and a half. Um, you know the Chargers, they're you know, fundamentally great. They lost Tyrell Williams, though. Um, offensive line had been an issue for them going into the playoffs and was an issue when they played New England. Uh, Kansas City still in their, in their division, and the Chargers lost their home game to Kansas City to Mexico City. Uh, the NFC North, they play all, all four of those teams, and we talked about how strong they can be. And the uncertainty associated with Oakland and Denver, 
um, you know, Los Angeles lost an opportunity to put, to have the one seed in the AFC by losing to Denver in Denver last year. So that's never trivial. Um, Philip Rivers age, all those things I think make that a positive EV bet on the under for the Los Angeles Chargers, especially because I think at nine and a half, the under, at least where I'm looking with odd shark is plus 110. So, um, go ahead and, 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 you know, especially if you're, if you were burned by the under last year, uh, betting against the Chargers, go ahead and, uh, and, uh, let it ride again. You never bet against Sherwin James. That's what I've learned. Oh, so there's, um, there's one more that I like, and this is a, a, a bet that you make now because the juice is going to change, I think. And that's the Arizona over five and a half. When, when, if you, if Kyler Murray hits his, you know, mean, of his distribution outcomes. I think that's an easy hill for them to clear. Um, they still have talent on both sides of the ball that was drastically underutilized, right? Like David Johnson, a great slot receiver that was just made to run up the middle. Um, Larry Fitz, who I think will be a great receiver to have slash tight end to have for, hmm. for Kyler Murray. And then you've got, of course, Patrick Peterson and, um, five and a half to me seems like a steal if you have Kyler Murray um, and, you know, things things break the right way. Are you on me with uh, with the Cardinals there? Yeah, I think, again, this is that's an implicit bet also on the under for San Francisco or Seattle. Right. So hold your hold, bite your tongue. Right. So I said or. Um, so Seattle eight and a half, San Francisco eight. I think one of those teams last season, you know, last season it was San Francisco because of bad luck. Uh, you know, Seattle, they got, you know, Russell Wilson in the fold, but I don't think, you know, Russell Wilson could play equally well this year fundamentally, and they could still struggle to, you know, six or seven wins just because of the way that that roster and that the coaching staff is constructed. So, um, you know, I think one of those two teams is going to fail to reach the eight and eight and a half. And then, as you said, with the, with the Rams, there always could be some regression there. The, the Cardinals had sort of no chance in many of those games this past season. I think they'll have a chance in a bunch of them this year, plus the last play schedule i do agree with you cool uh okay super bowl you want to you want to be crowned the champion at the end of the season you've got to make a super bowl bet right now where are you going i'm gonna go uh with new orleans uh i think that this is the basically the last chance and sort of everything will will be will hinge on it they got a tight end in jared cook which was a, a missing piece last season they were kind of a one-man show in the passing game uh, from the receivers and the tight ends, um, they get you know Ted Ginn back, and I think defensively uh, they won't struggle early in the season the way they did the last two. I like it, I like it a lot. Um, this is tough because I, I think there is at seven to one, there's value on the Patriots because of the ease of their schedule, because of the greatness of their quarterback, and because as great as Gronk has been, he certainly was not as great last season now he was fantastic in the playoffs i'm not trying to take anything away from him but if there's one thing that we have learned about the patriots it's their ability to you know sort of you cut off a limb and they grow right back type deal so i i don't think that's a a a bad bet our simulation likes it has that as a plus ev super bowl bet but you know where my heart lies you know i you you know i can't quit man and the falcons at 33 to (laughs) 1 It's just too easy, man. It, they were just demolished defensively from a coverage perspective last season. No Deion Jones, Robert Alford hurt and playing miserably on that 
side of the field all of last season. I mean, they were just it was a disaster from a from a, a production standpoint, like how they actually played. And they also had one of the lowest rates of capitalizing on turnover worthy plays for the second straight season, which is just not a stable thing. So it's nice because it's 33 to one. So, you know, you don't have to put a lot on there to, to win a good margin. And that's a, that's plus expected value, even if they are still a long shot. So one of the ones that's negative EV that I have liked and, and, you know, I probably won't invest anymore is the Colts at 18 to one. I think mm-hmm. it's probably a fairer price to put them, you know, 20 to one, 25 to one. Um, but I can totally see the Colts making, you know, making a, a run at the Super Bowl there. Um, but uh, right now, I think that they're probably properly priced. What's what's a team that is going to get too much? I think I know the answer to this. Too much love for the Super Bowl that you would, despite the fact that you you think they have a decent chance, um, would not be a team to bet on. Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, well, I think Kansas City is probably a team, you know, at seven and a half to one um, is is I mean, they're a Super Bowl contender. That's just not a, that's just not good enough as a price. And I'm going to go very similarly with the Rams at seven and a half to one. I think um, it, it's just it, it's a numbers game, right? Like they do have a very good chance. They're one of, the, you know, probably seven to eight favorites that are out there. But that's just that's just too high, given the the gauntlet that they'll have to go through, and, and how good New Orleans is, obviously, uh, in that division. I think Green Bay sort of, you know, again, everyone likes to bet on the brilliance of Aaron Rodgers. Uh, certainly, they will be one of the more heavily bet on teams uh, in in Vegas. But twenty to one is a little a little steep right now. I think you'll never. I don't think you'll ever get value betting. You know. Actually, last year we did get some value on New England at the very end when they were six to one going into the playoffs. But you're probably never going to get value on the Pittsburghs and the Green Bays and the Dallases and the New Yorks right. uh, of the world in that market, just because there are always going to be people who are going to buy into them, even when fundamentally there, there's really no reason to. Yeah, Chicago and Cleveland both at fourteen to one to win the Super Bowl. I just I think those are ridiculous numbers. If you had to bet one of them though, both fourteen to one, which one you going with? Um, uh, trying to th- uh, let me look at the numbers here. Uh, man, you know what? Screw it, Cleveland. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, those, that's our uh, win simulations for now. Uh, we're gonna do a bunch of of articles over the course of the season, looking at all the divisions, and um, you know, as we get more information about these teams, right? This is the first iteration of this simulation. We will be simulating until the season starts as we gain more information. Um, I'm excited, man. This means football is coming. I can't wait. We have the NBA playoffs. We have to go through the dull of the like baseball season, and then it's here. It's going to be wonderful. Let's move on to uh, let's skip questions from the dark web for right now. Yeah, we, let's move on. Let's, we haven't since both of us have been out of town this week. We actually haven't had time to answer them anyway. So let's just go to the Denver Broncos. Why don't you start? So what they went six and ten last year. Our projection for them was 7.09 wins, which I think would have been under. Um, and so they did go under. Uh, we were 0-1-1 and picking their games. Um, we, we faded them against Seattle in week one. Thanks, Matt. Uh, and then we took the over 
52 and a half back when over-unders were a complete joke uh, against Denver <laughs> mid-season and lost that bet. So we were 0-1-1. Um, what, do you, what did you think about the Broncos season? It's so weird because the Broncos have some of the most talented defensive players at slot, uh, corner in Chris Harris, Vaughn Miller is absolutely fantastic. And yet, and I should say Emmanuel Sanders is really good too. And yet this team was like, it's like a nothing team, right? Like people were trying to bring them up, you know, when they, they had a couple of kind of spunky games there at the beginning of the season. To me, it, it was just a, a season that you knew they were sort of throwing away when they decided to sign Case Keenum to that sort of weirdish contract. And this season, this upcoming season, almost feels the same unless they bring in a quarterback, right? Don't you get, I mean, you bring in Joe Flacco, it's like, okay, well, what's the difference between bringing in a Case Keenum and bringing in a Joe Flacco? I, I don't, to me, that's the same move. Well, and I don't know what they were expecting last year. Like, what were they expecting when they brought in Keenum? Because he clearly signed, like, a quarterback bridge contract. But then when the egg timer went off and they had the fifth overall pick, they decided, you know, basically to punt on taking Josh Rosen or Josh Allen um, or Lamar Jackson in favor of taking Bradley Chubb, who I think we'll talk about here in a little bit. Um and, and so what were they expecting to happen, you know? And then this year, now that we know that the quarterback class is not as good, they bring in Joe Flacco, they pay, you know, a decent sum for him this year. And what are they going to do? Are they going to draft Dwayne, Has- you know, Dwayne Haskins at 10? Are they going to go with Drew Locke? Are they going to trade up and get Kyler Murray? Probably not. So what are they expecting this year, too? Because, like, Flacco was better than Keenum last year, but not by much. And, you know, he's only had, I think I, I wrote down, three above-average seasons, four, four above-average seasons in his career. He's been above replacement level the whole time, but, like, that's not a huge, that's not a high bar. The last time he was above-average by our wins-above-average model was 2014. So, you know, I, I really have questions here. Uh, I think the coaching change is a good thing, right? Like, you know, uh Vance Joseph was not having the time of his life. Um, and I think like Fangio will be better, um, you know, just by default. But at the same time, you chose defense instead of offense in a league where it's trending 100% that way. Very tough because you, you root for Vic Fangio, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I would love to see him do well. But it is, it is strange because. You, you've seen what this team has done with zero offensive identity or, you know, ability really. And, and I can't imagine that's coming here. If you draft a young quarterback, is Vic Fangio the guy that you want mentoring a young quarterback? I'm not saying that he like can't do it, but his experience is certainly not in doing that. Um, it, you know, building a bridge to nowhere is probably not the right move for them. Um, they pick up, in addition to Joe Flacco, Bryce Callahan, who was very solid for the Bears, that's a, a loss for the Bears. They pick up Kareem Jackson, so they, you know, are trying to kind of replenish some of those coverage players, losing Bradley Roby, um, Shaq Barrett. Uh, but man, I, this team, there's not, without a quarterback, you just don't have a lot of hope, right? I think the Giants kind of fall into the same category. And, you know, the Jets are sort of the, on the other side of the coin, a team that's not very good, but they have hope because they have a quarterback. Until the Broncos get that quarterback, they're sort of just languishing in, in hopelessness, in my opinion. 
Yeah, exactly. And, and Arizona will be in this position. If Oakland takes a quarterback, they'll be in this position in the same division. Um, but right now, you're kind of in that bad and boring thing. And you can you can point to some things that Denver does well. As you said, you know, uh, Chris Harris Jr. is one of the best football players in the league. Uh, Bryce Callahan plays really well in the slot. Kareem Jackson's a movable piece in that secondary that was extremely valuable for Houston, a team that has the hardest schedule going into next year. But you lose Bradley Roby. You lose Darian Stewart, Shaq Barrett. Key features to your defense. Your defense was 13th last year, 15th in pass defense, 15th in run defense. It, again, shows like this team won the Super Bowl like three years ago with the best defense in the league, and it's not, you know, it doesn't take a whole lot to fall that far. I think people who like the Broncos are going to say, yeah, but they're third in rushing with a zero EPA per play last year, right? And you look at, you know, Philip Lindsay, who's an undrafted player that was tremendous in terms of yards per carry. And I'm going to say, okay, well, look how far it got them. Uh, they were 21st in offense. 26th in passing, 24th in points scored. So being third in rushing uh, is sort of meaningless there. Um, they lose to Marius Thomas. They lost to midseason uh, last year. Emmanuel Sanders uh, is injured. It'll be interesting to see if he comes back. So there's just a lot there. There's a lot of question marks. And then you play in a really tough division uh, with the Chargers and with uh, the Chiefs and you know the possible ascension of Oakland. Which makes their seven wins... Uh... I mean, if anything, um, just sort of a, a sign of where they're at, which is just dead square in the middle. You yeah. brought up Philip Lindsay. I don't think we should beleaguer the point. The person I think we should talk about is the guy that you mentioned earlier, and that's Bradley Chubb. And the reason it's so interesting is because we talked about this with the Cowboys last week, and I'm going to bring it up again, but the idea that we made a successful pick because of you know, these like five or six things that I can point to that may or may not actually be good for your team, right? So you pick Bradley Chubb instead of a quarterback. He had some sacks, which, as we know, people always point to as the reason why a pass rusher is good. He's below replacement level. Explain. Well, I think he's you know, his most stable trait is, you know, he struggled against the run, which doesn't matter that much, but certainly moves the needle. But you look at like how he grades, right? And we don't give credit to unblock pressures. We don't give credit to uh, some of the things that show up on the stat sheet that aren't fundamentally translatable. So, you know, he was tied for 14th in sacks, right? Well, sacks are like the least stable pass rush trait. Uh, he was 19th in total pressures. That's more stable, but not as stable as his 23rd that he ranked in terms of pass rushing grade by our PFF grades, right? So you look at things and you're like, okay, if you're watching Bradley Chubb and you're looking at, you know, is he a good player? I mean, obviously we're going to reserve judgment based upon just his rookie year, but the, the further down the list you get in terms of things that are stable, he gets worse and worse and worse relative to other edge players. Uh, and then, and then you couple that with the fact that he's playing across from Vaughn Miller, who's a top five player on the, on the Denver Broncos, one of the best edge players in the league. And you're never getting double teamed. You're always getting favorable conditions in which to rush the passer. You're probably going to get cleanup sacks from Miller's pressures and things like that. It's just one of those where I think Denver Broncos fans are going to disagree with us a little bit um, about how valuable this pick was. And, you know, as they continue to, as we said, wallow away in this, uh, you know, quarterback conundrum or the quarterback quagmire here, um, you know, Chubb is probably the main reason why. Well, the, the worst part about the Bradley Chubb pick is if you wanted a 
great edge rusher, you should have taken Derwin James because he was the best. He's the best pass rusher in that class. Um, and it's you mentioned the Von Miller thing, which came to mind as well, and I think is is huge. You have to recognize his situation. It smells very eerily of a, a player on our favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons, Vic Beasley, who had that big year in sacks. And we kept saying, look, the, a lot of these sacks are really fluky. A lot of them are cleanups. His pressure rate is very low. He has the biggest disparity between pressure rate and sack rate. We know pressure rate is stable. If you're continually getting to the quarterback, sacks are a fluky thing that will happen if you have opportunities. But if you don't have opportunities, very likely you're going to end up with low sack totals. And that has happened for Beasley to the point where he's basically a forgotten piece of that Falcons defense, which has struggled mightily going forward. So it will be really interesting to see this year. Team projected to have seven wins could certainly be worse. The hope there is not coming from a pass rusher that you've drafted. It is coming from having a leader of your football team that can generate offense in a place that has value. They were 26th in passing offense last year. That's just not going to get it done. I can't imagine they're hoping for a ton more from Joe Flacco, who's who's an interesting guy because you hear Elway say, oh, we need, we need a guy that can play from under center. They, they, no one plays from under center anymore, right? Like everyone is in the shotgun over half the time. And uh, I looked I looked this up because I was curious. Joe Flacco, over the past three seasons, um, a below league average yards per attempt, even when uh, under center. And 60% of those dropbacks are play action, which already is an above league, league average situation. So I'm not sure that's a good reason to go and trade for that guy. Yeah, and man, the 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 issue with you know the issue with Chubb and as it rolls back in, we we saw Barkley today uh, on Pro Football Talk say, you know, I don't know what Giants fans are upset with. Like, what could they possibly be upset with? I'm a Pro Bowl player. I'm an All Pro player. I'm a Rookie of the Year player. And like, I think that that's like the the genesis of this entire issue. Like, you know, Steve is talking about you know his his T-shirt that says like draft good players, and that to a point that that that's true. But, like, your point shouldn't be to draft players. Your point should be to draft players that help you win. And, you know, it's difficult to uh, it's difficult to deduce from the Bradley Chubb pick more wins for Denver. And, you know, even if Flacco were to play, like, okay relative to his career, uh, you know, his career arc this season, like, that's not going to translate to, like, more predictable wins for the Broncos, right? Like, in 2020... Like we're, we don't have any better outlook of Denver based, if Joe Flacco is a 1.5 or two win player this year, right? Like they need to draft somebody with the potential to be a three, four win player, and I just don't see that right now in this draft because they forewent the opportunity to do so a season ago. It will be an interesting one for this draft. Obviously, whether they take a guy like maybe a Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins, I know we. We think that would be a bit of a stretch, but it'll be interesting to see because if there is a guy, if there's a guy that strikes me as someone that would take a Drew Lock, it's probably John Elway, right? Yeah, no, I, I I would say so. You know, given his height and the, the high variance nature, not only of Elway's game when he played, but also uh, you know the players like Keenum and Flacco that he's coveted before, um, I, it does seem to be sort of his type. So. Uh, yeah, I, I can I can totally see that being the pick. 
I would be a little concerned. I mean, people are starting to uh, compare Drew Locke uh, to Patrick Mahomes for reasons other than the fact that they played in both played in Missouri last year. So, uh, you know, I think we're to that part of draft season. But um, I, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if he was taken at ten. I think Haskins is probably the better prospect, but. You know, I think Elway also can see like sort of what we can see in him, which is probably that he's a, you know, a cousin slash Bradford type player. And even though that would probably be an upgrade on a rookie contract for the Broncos, uh, it's probably not going to excite any fans. Probably not. So continue with the bridge to uh, the unknown, I guess, for the Denver Broncos. Uh, Let's let's close out with um, with some stories from. the Cincy YMCA. Have you gone this week at all? You've been without me, so. Yeah, so I was in uh, Fargo Moorhead on Monday and Tuesday, and I went to the the gym at my hotel. Uh, no one was there though, so it was not uh, <laughs> it was not a anything to note. Yesterday and today, I've I've gone to the gym, um, but unlike you, like I do not have a keen eye for weirdness at the gym. Oh, okay, good, because I have. I have a wonderful story for you. I'm not going to do any fat shaming today. I was in New York and I was looking for a place to work out. And I found a gym by my hotel that, um, that, that, so first off the hotel didn't have a gym. So I had to go looking for something. So there's this like, um, this little athletic club down the street and they've got sort of a combination of, of everything, right? They've got like a turf area I've got like an Olympic lifting sort of squat rack section, whatever. It's pretty much, you know, like go in and do it sort of whatever you want. So um, there's only, I'm in there sort of earlier in the day and there's only like three other people in there. And the two of these guys are clearly training together, you know, and I have no problem with that. We train together. Like it's, it's cool, but there's always a couple people that take it a little over overboard. And uh, what I mean by overboard is these guys had weights sprawled from one end of the squat racks to the other end of the squat racks. They were only using the middle platform. I mean, it was a, a rainbow of colored plates everywhere. And then the best thing, the best part was they are doing some front squats. And the front squats are supposed to have a two count down. So one guy does his squats. He finishes, he grunts his way through it, you know, all this stuff. He's unwrapping his knee wraps and his buddy comes over and he goes, hey, so it's a two count? And he's, he's like, yeah, man, I'll count for you. <laughs> so I'm, I'm a, my back's like sort of turned to them. I'm trying not to laugh because this is the funniest thing, man. It's like six, six reps and the, each rep, this other guy's like, thousand one thousand two and then in between the count he's giving uh you know words of encouragement so it'll be like thousand one thousand two you got this bro and it was 30 seconds magical and that it was it was one of the greatest things because i couldn't even hear the music that was playing in the gym they were they were so loud so just know i'll never i'll never be counting uh out reps for you or counts or anything of that nature you're safe Man, that's that's you know where that's the guy where... was also wearing pink lifting shoes. Oh, nice! So there was that. That, that was a was a good look as well. So that's, that's my story from the gym this week. That's the uh, let's go D. Let's go D. Let's go D. When uh, <laughs> you know your your friend Daryl is trying to lift or something like that. Uh, that we just start, start slapping the floor before we uh, 
before we left. Maybe I mean, where do you chalk. cross the line based upon slapping the floor? Because if it's like a if it's a you know game point in basketball, slapping the floor seems appropriate, but every every other point, uh, not so much. No one can compete with the the Eric Eager spin move though to close out the game. You got that one unlocked. People care about this stuff. We we've received a lot of of wonderful emails saying we want to hear more about Eric Eager spin moves. There you go. There you have it. We'll be back next week, both of us um, in the same place. It'll be draft day on Thursday, so maybe we'll try and record on uh, on a Wednesday or something a little earlier in the week to get it out before the draft. And then, of course, on draft night, you'll want to make sure you tune in. We'll be doing live stuff from PFF HQ. Um, I believe Chris will be in the house. We've got Mike uh, Renner in the house as well. It should be great. Um, so check that out and let us know if you have any questions leading up to it. Eric, I'll see you soon. Everyone else, peace out.